Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So we're going to continue talking about God's irrevocable covenant of peace. It cannot be revoked. God, Whatever God does, it lasts forever. <clears throat> when he created us, he created us to live forever. Jesus was the only man who was born to die. Everybody else was born to live forever. Amen. His purpose was to give his life. Our purpose was to live forever. So when God created us, he had in, in his sights and in his vision a people who would live forever, both on the earth and in heaven. In fact, it was, it was planned that we would be so connected to God that heaven and earth would be pretty much like one place. You know, we're just said parts of earth set apart for our dominion. But we were to have free access to heaven and the things of heaven through God. We were never made to have uh, dominion, possession, rulership without the headship of God. We just There's no way you can do this without God. How people on the earth can be so arrogant to think that they are so wise without a, a source for wisdom. You know, outside of oneself is is mind-boggling, especially when you know God, when you know the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. And so God has made this covenant with us. When we were separated from him, we had to be brought back together in a way where we would know and be assured that this thing that we have with God is not a fleeting and temporary thing, that it can't be broken by our disobedience. It can't be revoked by bad behavior. It's, it's, we're in there for good, and it's irrevocable. So the way God goes, went about doing this was to establish the blood covenant as a means of bringing peace between two parties that previously had been enemies and to make them one and to make them friends. And so God has this covenant of peace that cannot be broken. This is such a foreign concept to people because we know we friends come and go. How many friends have we had in our lives, you know, and then, you know, the ones you had growing up, you don't even know if they're dead or alive or they're still here, but certainly you're not friends with them anymore. They just kind of pass through your life. But God has created this covenant of strong friendship is what it's called. Strong friendship. When you say you're a strong friend, it's like when kids say, that's my best friend because you like them today. When they do so right, you do something. They do something goofy. You mad at them. So, and and that's the way it was with us between us and God for a season. You know, He said, "In a little wrath, I hid my face from you, but with loving kindness, I'll draw you back." His mercy endures forever. God's kindness, loving kindness, and tender mercy are the more are the stronger parts of Him, and the more everlasting parts about Him. Hmm? See, we all have facets to our character. You know, there are some people that we, we say, well, so-and-so's nice, or they're mean, or they're this. We tend to put labels on people instead of understanding that we all have facets. 
See, nobody's just nice. They may have treated you nice the last time you talked to them, but you go live with them. Ask the people in their house. You, you got me? So we all find out that there are facets to our character. Some people try a little harder than others, you know, to, to be kind and, and to kindly affection toward people, et cetera, et cetera. But we're all human. You poke us in the wrong way and you'll see something. You got me? And so, <laughs> amen. <laughs> so, so there are facets to every character, different faces that we project that are appropriate for different situations. God's anger is appropriate at times. You got me? Our anger is appropriate at times. We have to be careful not to be angry all the time. The Bible says be angry and sin not. And and if it's not appropriate, it's not right to be angry, you know, at certain things. And so we have to understand that that every human being has different aspects to his character that is appropriate in a situation, certain situation. You got me? What we call meanness is appropriate sometimes. You know, some people have to get mean and stern so that people that they have to discipline need to understand they mean business. Because people are pretty foolish. They'll keep with their antics forever if they're not stopped. It's like people in prison, you know, guards. They keep a mean, stern face all the time. God forbid they get nice to everybody. You get nice to the wrong element and you will lose your life and get run over. Huh? The saddest uh, thing I, I, I heard in a long time was there was a woman that she was really wanting to work in prison. Her husband was a prison guard. They worked in a small town where there was a, a jail there. And she'd gone through prison training. And the first day on the job, they found her body dead in a garbage heap. first day why apparently she had a different way of doing things other than the people that were survivors <laughs> huh and she thought she knew this prisoner Not me broke the rules let her guard down he wound up raping and murdering her and and had plotted it out to where he disposed of her body and it was carried out with the trash. They never would have known where she was had not some person that was handling garbage in the landfill noticed. Got me? You got me? So there are times when being stern and mean is appropriate. When you're facing devils, you better get hard on them. You understand what I'm saying? And don't play around and let them trick your mind into compromising with them. And just as God's anger uh, was kindled for a season against us. It was appropriate because we had turned our backs on him. In sin, we turn our backs on God. And so his his anger at sin is very appropriate because he's a holy God. How would we know we sin if we don't get a response from him? If every time we do something with God, it's all good, how will we know? when We'd go right to hell and he never did anything to stop us and warn us and let us know. Parents, when you have to discipline your children, you have to get rough with them sometimes and let them know you mean business. Because they'll disobey you and grin and, and play and all that kind of stuff and try to see if they can get you over to relaxing the rules. Flesh, disobedient flesh likes relaxed rules. But God decided he would hold to his standard of holiness for his people. 
and then in great loving kindness woo us back through a great love that's greater than anger. Love is greater than all of these things. And so when the love of God is in an op- in, a, in operation, it is severe sometimes. The Bible says, note the, the love and the severity of God. Both, he has to have both, folks. It's normal to have both. You know, we have to tear down these false perceptions of what Christianity is all about. No, people who think Christians are, you know, the Christian is the one you can slap around and he'll come back and let you slap him some more, turn the other cheek. Huh? <laughs> and and there is some truth to that, you know, there is. It's not about, you know, us taking a slap. It's about us being betrayed or, or uh, um you know, have people, you know, there are people that in your life, God will con- tell you continually bless them. You know, you loan them money, they never pay you back. You loan them again, they don't pay you back. You loan them again. That's turning the other cheek, folks. You got me? Instead of going and holding a grudge and not wanting to have anything to do with them again, the Christian is able to forgive. That's our key to everything. You know, we may be dealt uh, um, unfortunate or, or unfair uh, types of behavior, but in love we forgive, and then we can go back and deal with that person as though they've never done anything. You got me? That's what that means. It doesn't mean that you're stupid, you know, and you let people beat up on you, but it does mean that you are quick to forgive and extend mercy and extend kindness. So these things are all important in understanding how God deals with us. You know, he wants us to be loving people and kind people and people who can keep covenant, but also people who can receive of his great love because it's because of what he's done and he is the source of this great love that we're able to have anything to give to the world. So the more we can receive of God's love, the greater we have to give to humanity. And you need to be the kind of Christian who can can do everything by the Spirit because you'll last a long time. You won't last very long if you're trying to give out of your limited resources. Or if you're trying to give out of your soul or out of your flesh, you're not going to last very long at this. But if you can draw from God and, and do things through your spirit and by your spirit, then you'll be able to, to endure to the end. This is a race of endurance. There are a lot of things you have to put up with that you don't like or put up with that aren't, aren't to your benefit. You can't see any reason why this happened in your life. You know what I'm saying? But it did. And so you, these are things we have to endure. Everybody has to endure their share. So God established this blood covenant, and it's all throughout the Bible. We first see it in the book of Genesis. And this covenant, the shedding of blood, was God's trademark to remind man, number one, that you are a sinner, and for you to contact me, a life must be given. Blood must be shed. He moved from that garden experience And blood was shed to cover the sin of man. The skins of the animal were used as clothing for the man and the woman to take, put a temporary covering on their shame because of their sin. Sin brought shame, folks. 
You don't get it any other way. So the Bible says we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We're born in shame. Uh, doesn't take much, you know, when, when uh, you know, say if you, your children misbehave and you have to scold them or tell them, they put their little heads down because that shame, they know they did something wrong. So sin or misbehavior brings with it a spirit of shame. And that follows us throughout life. It's a good thing. It reminds you that you need to get it right with God. Huh? You're ashamed. You do some things. You pop off at the mouth or you get angry enough. You go tell somebody off. Give them a piece. Yeah, this one a piece of your mind. That one a piece of your mind. Pieces of your mind everywhere. Then God snatches you back to your senses and you realize, oh, man, you just put your head down. You're ashamed. Huh? Get conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you to remind you that you need to get it right with God. It's not to beat you up and make you feel stupid, which you do anyway. We do that to ourselves. But that shame is a reminder that we need, blood needs to be shed for us to get back into right relationship with God. And so now in the new covenant, that's an eternal blood that was shed. It doesn't have to be done over and over again. Under the old covenant, they had sacrifices for everything. And you could tell who was the rough customers in the neighborhood. Because there goes the chicken, there goes the pigeon, there goes the goat, there goes... Well, at least they were the honest ones. The hypocrites sat and watched them. They were doing the same things, but they weren't taking the sacrifices for the atonement. And so when God saw that people understood what needed to be done to remove sin, he sent his son. It was a fullness of time. You know, the law was a schoolmaster teach us that we needed somebody to shed blood for our sins. There was no other way to be right with one another and right with God except this had to be done. So in the fullness of time, he sent Jesus. And that's what causes us to have a covenant that cannot be revoked. The fact that this blood has eternal value. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats were an offering that God saw, but it had very little benefit for man personally. That blood was shed so that God could see our obedience or the obedience of the nation of Israel. He could see the obedience. But it did nothing to cleanse your conscience or purge your conscience of dead works so that you could serve the living God. So God's contact with people was limited. Limited to those times where offerings were made. Limited to those times where he would give instruction, where they would submit to his his uh his priesthood system and they can get the benefit of relationship with God instruction from God and some worship and uh reading of the word and and all of those things but the minute they would leave that arena they would go back to living like they've been living kind of like saints do now if you don't read your word every day and you don't pray in tongues you'll be just like them forget who you are until the next time you get in service you know Thank God for that, you know, or we wouldn't have anything. But, you know, of course, there's more to it. And so God decided then to do away with the 
said, Sacrifices and offerings I do not delight, but a body I have prepared for him. And so he prepared a body for the Savior of the world, and that body was sacrificed. And that's what God delights in. He delights in the sacrifice of Jesus because he thought it up and he decided to do away with the substitutes and the teachings and to get us into the real thing. It was his delight to bring us the real thing. Please the Lord to bruise him. Amen. And so that was his delight to cut this irrevocable covenant of peace with his people. So in talking about this, we were reminded of the story of David and how he had cut a covenant with Saul's family. You never know who you're going to be connected with and how it's going to wind up. But God will have us uh, connect with people in a certain way. And and sometimes those connections will last throughout life, you know, uh, just just because years ago we we decided we would be friends and, and it's carried down through a lot of difficulties in my life, a lot of difficulties in your life, but we're still friends. And so this was what David and Jonathan did. They they decided that they wanted to to cut a covenant of strong friendship, and we see where. <clears throat> the 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 lesser is blessed by the better in the exchange that they did let me see if i can find that in second samuel i think it's in chapter 3 where it talks about david and jonathan let me see yeah, it's over in first samuel they died at the end of hang on hang on hang on I have it here, I have it here. First Samuel. And I think it's about chapter 17 or 18. I hope. Sorry about that. I hadn't really planned to go back here, but I think I may have to... Mm-hmm. In First Samuel chapter 18... In verse 1 it says, The soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So you see Jonathan, being the stronger with more to give, invites David into the covenant. Now this is a type of Christ activity. When you see a person with nothing, David you know, didn't even know how to wash himself up and come into the palace for crying out loud. He's been used to being outside and, and you know, you know, uh, uh, tending sheep. And, you know, when you get close to sheep, you get a lot of sheep on you. You know, you smell like a sheep. You get poop on your sandals and all that. And, and so here's David is, is a mere shepherd boy. He's, you know, he's got a big family, a fairly prominent family. But they are people who are connected to the land and not palace people like Jonathan was. So here it is very unlikely that these two people would connect together except the stronger invite the weaker one in. That's how Jesus found us. He being the stronger, he found you. You didn't find him. Your eyes were just enlightened. He'd been there all the time. But he invited you in. Nobody comes to this party uninvited. 
We're all invited. Whenever you preach the gospel, you're sending out the invitation. But those people who hear it are already summoned by God to hear the gospel. You don't crash this. It's not like religion. Like, you know, uh, well, I, I turned to Buddhism. You, you turn that way, you know, turn someplace else now. You got me? You just shop around from one to one. This is the only one you have to be invited in. So it said, Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him go home anymore to his father's house. So David was pretty much adopted into their family, wound up marrying one of Saul's daughters. And it says, Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Jesus is the lover of our souls. He loves us like his own soul ministers to us takes care of us wants us to be at peace at all times wants us to be happy wants us to be prosperous and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his garments even to his sword and his bow and his girdle so everything his weapons he took and gave to him he gave him his clothing Now these things are significant because David would step into this at a later time for real. They didn't didn't mean it like that. At the time it was symbolic. But it's prophetic in that David would step into that place. It would not be Jonathan who would ascend to the throne. It would be David after all. And David went out wheresoever Saul sent him. The other thing too is because Jonathan was royalty. This is something that's extremely unheard of. Because royalty tends to protect itself from outsiders. So he invites an outsider in. So Jesus being royalty invites us into full access. Not withholding anything. The fact that he exchanged these. And David had nothing to give folks. That's us. Not one thing to give God except our sin and our bad thoughts and bad behavior and bad talk and no-nos and all that kind of stuff. We give him our worst and we take on his best. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, behaved himself wisely. Saul sent him over the, set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So God honored this covenant when Jonathan accepted him. That opened doors for David everywhere. Opened many doors for David. There will be times when God will have people, natural people, uh, give you their stamp of endorsement. You got me? And that will open doors for you. That type of favor is still very much upon God's people. We need it. You need it and I need it. So that we can do things the right way in the world. But after this, the relationship goes downhill, especially between Saul and David. He he is able to keep peace with Jonathan. He and Jonathan never turn their backs on one another, which is a blessing considering Jonathan's son uh, seeks David's life. David, uh, because Saul and Jonathan are killed on the same day, David, of course, ascends to the throne. And uh, Israel becomes a divided country. David is king of, of Judah. That's his tribe that he came from. And so it, it, it begins to, and it never becomes united again. You know, it, it's a factioned type of a, a nation Israel is from that time forward. And so 
<clears throat> David uh, sets up his kingdom and part of setting up your kingdom means destroying all the enemies because he was at war with Saul's family it's believed and it works out that David has to kill some of Saul's offspring or they are killed because they're against him he's not given the order to do it but reluctantly he he has to because they lift up hands against him and it's that way he's defending a kingdom now he's not merely defending uh you know his personal rights but he is reminded on a continual basis that he has a covenant with Jonathan. And how is he reminded? Anybody want to? How is he reminded? Scar, absolutely. Every time he looks at his hands, which is often. How many times you look at your hands? So that's Scar is there in an obvious place so that it can be re- a reminder, the constant reminder that there must be somebody left of <clears throat> Jonathan's household. And I believe that when these things were done, God, of course, ministered over this because the blood covenant was God's idea. Amen. He instituted it in the garden. People would pick it up because it was honored. And the reason it was honored is because God instituted it. So there was a spiritual reinforcement to these covenants. And I believe as long as there was somebody in Jonathan's family alive, every time God, David looked at these scars, he would be reminded of it. And so there is some some activity, spiritually speaking, that, that speaks to these scars to remind them. I believe when when Jesus, as the intercessor for us, you remember, you know, some of the uh, drawings we see of him praying in the garden. He's always on his knees with his hands folded before him. So as our high priest and intercessor, he can look at scars that he as he prays for us and he can pray righteous prayers for us. Amen. So these things are are real and they are helpful. And so uh, David then begins to pursue carrying out his vow to Jonathan on behalf of his family. So <clears throat> David is is been treated kindly by Jonathan and by Saul to a degree. Uh, David is kind of cheated out of some things. Uh, he was promised one of Saul's daughters and was given somebody else who we believe was the um you know <laughs> the problem child uh, and so uh, david was given michael as a wife he was promised uh saul's other daughter i forget her name but uh he was saul begins to switch things with david trying to cause him trouble saul's house and david's house saw a long war after the the um saul kicked david out and there was war between him and, and Saul's house, but not with Jonathan. He managed to keep um, peace with Jonathan because his covenant of peace was irrevocable. His covenant of peace even extended to Saul because David was successful when he ran from Saul, but when he 
thought to lift his hand against Saul, he was disturbed. Hmm? Reminding himself with the scar, I can't touch this man. And on top of it, he was God's anointed. So there were two two things against him. His personal words promised that he had spoken to Saul's son. And secondarily, the fact that, that Saul was God's anointed. To the point where David could have taken Saul's life. He spared his life, but in anger he cut off. Huh? He had to just show him. I could have, I could have killed you. I could have killed you. Yeah, like, like your life is in my hands. And God rebuked him for that. You know, you don't take anybody's life. You don't have control over this. So many of the difficulties David went through were to teach him wisdom, to teach him how to be an honorable man. Because if you are going to be a ruler, you're going to be a king, you're going to be any kind of leader, you have to be a fair leader. You have to judge fairly. And you have to be a person that exercises restraint and self-control. Because there are going to be people that will try and stop you from being what God's called you to be. And doing what you're called to do. You'll get, you know, they all do have to wrap things from his It's And not as the left of it, I may. It's I date them. Us, us. For him, arms that he gave in bright speed. And we does it when he can't be was of ways. Of the benefits of the covenant. And through Christ we are able to obey the laws of the covenant. So he does everything. All we have to do is say yes and walk it out without balking. Without whining. Without complaining. Without fighting. Without Reporting for 10 years that God's dealing with us over chewing too much bubble gum or whatever stupid stuff we let stand between us and God. We make too much of ourselves in this. We told, we over magnify our importance in this covenant because that's what human beings do. You know, if, if, if you, you look in the Bible and you, you see where God says shun the very appearance of evil and you make up in your mind you're going to do this anyway. You want to train them then you realize that he heard all that all you found is I don't pray now he how to work. I don't you have to bring questions. He's asking and looking for so he said and those said Harry he had a Right to do not I think their son had just came. They loved eating under the peace home prodigy ship for kind of friend offered. Um, know how so does some about the begin to begin kindness? That's it's going to be a beaten their leader. We're kind to play problem nature. Give a ship which is tent and be enough pick real to do plan for this near old kid for a little bit. Take kind of here for now within his fiddle year. We out of us and this no way with them of get at it. You know, 
That's how you keep getting invited to the table. Thanksgiving will always be, bring increase in your life. Huh? It's the truth. But if push comes to shove, God won't let his kids starve. Huh? I'm a witness to that. I tell parents sometimes, I said, you know what? I said, you know you ain't behaving God worth two cents. I said, but he's looking at He's got a covenant with your children. I said, that's why you keep getting food in your house, bread on the table. I said, but you better straighten up before they get college age because it might be. You got me? It's a truth. God will not, no, never have your seed begging bread. Now that's out. He doesn't, for he'll turn his back on the righteous. If the minute you straighten up, he'll put you right back in there again. But you got to straighten up and cut this nonsense out. We're a blessed people. We're a holy people. Why do we speak in an unholy way all the time? It's ridiculous. But the children of Israel complained. They went around the same mountain over and over again. You know why you don't get your breakthrough? Your mouth is taking you around in circles. You get your breakthrough when you shut up and listen to God and start speaking like he speaks. The fear not is very powerful. Fear not and surely. Those are very powerful words. Those are covenant terms that let you know the surely means it's irrevocable. Said I can't go back on this. That's why I've been looking for you for all these years, Mephibosheth. Fear not says I know we should be enemies, but I extend forgiveness and eternal peace to you. Isn't that wonderful? Eternal peace. Nothing ever wrong between you and God. I don't care what you did, what you said, what you thought, how you messed up. If you repent and ask forgiveness, you're not automatically in anything. Once you step out, you've got to go right back through the right door again. The first empowerment you ever receive from the Holy Spirit is his peace. There's a sense of well-being that comes to a believer when they're born again that you can't buy. This is a, a peace that passes human understanding. It's something that's never been given to us before. And it cannot be revoked because it's bought with eternal blood. Huh? That blood flows eternally. It works through us eternally. Cleanses us eternally. Why do we need eternal cleansing? Because we, we are prone to internal mess up. Eternal mess up. Huh? If we didn't go to heaven, we'd be sinning from then on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it stops when we, when we die. But as long as you're in this earth body, you're going to be subject, subject to the weakness of it. And you confess your sin. You go to God. You tell him that you did wrong. You tell him you're sorry. You tell him you don't want to do it anymore. Repentance means that you expect not to do it anymore. You change your mind. You know, I used to think that was fun, God, but I see right now that's the source of most of the problems in my life. It's a blessing when God shows us that. 
You're not showing it to you to make you feel bad only. You need to feel bad, but you need to move on. And that is leave it. Let the blood cleanse you. Well, I just get tired of repenting. You need to get tired of sinning. Don't get tired of repenting. Get tired of sinning and needing to repent. <laughs> Telling you. Mephibosheth got old enough now to, to have kids of his own. Mm-hmm. Verse 11, when Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, I will do that. If you didn't answer the king back, you could lose your life. Nah. You don't answer God back, you lose your life too. Mm-hmm. You'll go right back into dead works. Huh? You'll lose your covenant privileges. <clears throat> he says he will eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwell in the house of Zeba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he did eat continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. One day he's sitting there in the wilderness. You know with his gun under his you know, <laughs> blanket on his lap. <laughs> You know, just for self-protection. Next thing, he got guards protecting him. I'm thinking, how great is this covenant, man? How great is this thing? Nothing he did to deserve it. He didn't ask for it. It's just all laid because of of two men that respected and loved one another. Because of two men. The Father God and Jesus who respect and love one another, we can partake of this covenant the same way. The same exact way. The Holy Spirit ministering over the covenant. That peace of God, that that irrevocable covenant of peace is everything. That provides everything, folks. You think peace is just a feeling, a calm feeling? Got news for you. When when Jesus went to the 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 uh, man who was impotent, lying there, you know, waiting for an angel to trouble the water, whatever myth they were following that day, he asked him one thing. He said, "Would you be made whole?" And that word for wholeness is the same word for peace, transliterated shalom, and it means to be made whole. Now that term is not just a a definition, but wholeness is a legal term. When you when you go to court, when you're wronged, you have a civil wrong against somebody. You know, it's like this: say somebody, <clears throat> you know, robs your house, and they might do damage to you and your property. Now the 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 law will go after them as a criminal. It's a they're breaking a statute of laws and, and ordinances that are set up by the government. So the government goes after them because they have broken the law. They don't care who they broke it against. So you're not really a factor there. This you're a witness, you can testify and all of that, but say they're given some time and they go to jail, but that don't lie in your pockets. You you got to have somebody come and clean up that mess. You're missing some items and all of that. So the law seeks to make people whole as well. 
sometimes there's not provision in the law for wholeness. If they can't recover that property, you cannot be made whole. To be made whole is to be intact in in spirit, body, and estate. A good court will seek to have all of that. That is the aim of every court that's ever set up is for the, the plaintiff to be made whole. You have a legitimate complaint. They have to restore as much as they're capable of everything that makes you whole. That's why they allow you to sue, make a civil suit as well. You have to do that on your own dime, on your own money. But the court, every, every, every judge that sits has that as his aim. The defendant, if they are found, if their judgment is made for him, he must be made whole. That's in every instruction of what they have. And they do it to the extent of the law that they're capable. But there are many times the law doesn't extend far enough to give you all. How you going? Somebody breaks in and you have nightmares. How you going to get that back? You can't get that back. You can't get that piece back. You can't get, you know, mom's favorite something. She left you. You know, it has a certain monetary value. But what it means to you personally, you can't get that back. But God can make us whole. His covenant of shalom makes us whole. Spirit, soul, body, and estate. In your possessions you're made whole. Why? He gives you a sevenfold return. If you'll lean into that scripture, that'll keep you happy for a lot of years. And, and you can read. I get happy just reading it. To say nothing of receiving of it. My goodness, it'll blow your mind. I tell people, I see people going into debt, buying stuff, you know, and I told them, I said, you know, I got jewelry I could not have paid for, worth more than I ever could have paid for it and didn't pay a dime. But I believed in the sevenfold return. When God had us had us make up the prayer manual, I said, ooh, this is a good scripture. I'm going to put this in here. And we started praying it over and over again, and pretty soon stuff started coming in that I did not pay for, could not have paid for it. So I know God honors his word. Problem is we got too many skeptics and complainers out here in the body. I look at people and say why are you living like that and whining about it? And talking about what you see in the natural. There's nothing in the natural to brag about. There's everything that you can bring it. You can change it in a heartbeat. I'm telling you. You can change what you're into. But you got to recognize what you got, whose you are, who you serve, and how to activate it. You got to be all in it, folks. You can't be in part time and a little bit and trying it out. When we're torn, shalom mends us. When we are grieving, shalom is, is released to us and we have hope and we can dry our tears. You know, you can get up and, and stop crying so much. And it's not a once in a while occurrence, but you have this covenant with you continually. It won't be taken away from you. The song, he'll do it again. Remember that song? Pathetic song for believers. If you have an irrevocable covenant, the fact that you got him to do it one time means you in there, buddy. It'll happen over every day, every five minutes, every minute of every day if you need it. It'll pour into your life. We sit forever at God's table of provision. Forever. And he makes us safe in mind, body, and estate. 
and it cannot be revoked because it didn't come because of you. It came before you. So all you can do is step into it, believe God for it, step into it, partake of it, and don't get real stupid. You know, when I say real stupid, I mean real stupid. You know, like people think they're going to go and, and live forever with a fractured soul and God takes them home to be with him. I said, nope. I healed you 17 times. And before I let you go out and get broken again, I'll take you home. We all going home anyway. Huh? The length of our days is predetermined. He knows exactly what we and he keeps that appointment in the length of our days. Jack Kervorkian running around here killing people. I prayed for God to kill him. He said, God said, Would you stop? Now I know why. I'm praying in nineteen ninety four for him to die. He didn't die till what, two thousand nine or ten? Huh? So he had to live out the length of his days according to God's plan for him. Same thing with us, folks. Telling you, we have something we didn't, you didn't create it and you can't mess it up. That's a good thing. The fact that you didn't create it and you can't mess it up is a good thing. So we can get the benefits of it, partake of it. I know we want to get in there and dabble in.